Writer. This is a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and to help authors find more joy in their writing. I'm your host, Marissa Meyer. Thanks so much for joining me. One thing that's making me happy this week, and I'll admit I'm a little embarrassed that I'm just now getting to it, but our family has finally started watching The Mandalorian. And yes, I am a huge Star Wars fan. And yes, I know I totally missed the trend on this one. (laughs) Um, But I was kind of waiting for the girls to be old enough to where they like sort of have a clue as to what's going on. And so we started watching it and we're a few episodes in. And yesterday the girls were playing with their Anna and Elsa dolls. And I heard one of them talking about the bounty hunter came and got me and you weren't here to rescue me. And I just get (laughs) such a kick out of those little, the little, the ways that their imagination takes off with things. So the Mandalorian loving it, of course, baby Yoda, who doesn't. And so excited to finally know what everybody's been talking about all this time. And of course, I am so happy to be talking to today's guest a former bookseller and librarian. She now works as a contributing editor at Book Riot. Her debut novel, Pride and Premeditation, is the first of a trilogy of Jane Austen-inspired murder mysteries, and it just came out last week. Now, please welcome Tirza Price. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. I am so happy to have you as well. Uh, Congratulations on your book launch. Thank you so much. I'm so happy that (laughs) it is, you know, out and people are reading it. And yes, it's very much a thrill. Yeah, no, I I know there's nothing quite like the publication of your debut novel. I hope you're embracing it and taking the time to really just enjoy and appreciate what a cool, cool moment this is. Thank you. All right. Why don't we start by you telling listeners What is Pride and Premeditation about? Yes. So Pride and Premeditation is a murder mystery retelling of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. And it is set in an ahistorical Regency era London. And Lizzie Bennet is recast as this teenager who all she wants to do is follow in her father's footsteps and become a barrister. However, the way to a legal career is barred to her because she is a young lady. And so she decides that she is going to prove that she has what it takes to go into law. And she being no small achiever, decides to prove herself by solving a murder mystery. And so she's just learned that Mr. Bingley has been accused of murder and she thinks that the case is a little bit suspicious. And so she goes and and tries to get hired by him, but he already has legal counsel in the form of Mr. Darcy. So they find themselves sort of working against each other and then again, eventually working with each other to solve a murder. Okay, so I just have to start by saying I love this concept so much. I I mentioned before that I remember reading about your book deal when it first came through in Publishers Weekly, and it was one of those moments where I read the description and was like, why didn't (laughs) I think of that? (laughs) So clever and combines Uh. two things that I 
absolutely love. Uh, Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen novels, and murder mysteries. And I just think it is absolutely genius. So on that note, I don't usually like to ask guests on this show where the idea came from, because that seems (laughs) so unoriginal. But I have to know, where did this idea come from? Well, oh, thank you. Yes, it it is one of those ones that I think people are kind of like, oh, like those two things don't normally go together. And yet, um, and I've always really liked and loved historical fiction, especially the Jane Austen, you know, romance and drama. And I totally ate up Death Comes to Pemberley. Um, which was written by P.D. James, but which I never actually read the book. I should probably um, rectify this, but I saw the TV um, little uh, short series, limited series, and I loved it. So I've always loved historical fiction. I've really, really been into mysteries for a while now. And so, you know, I was just... I had gone through this period where I wrote two books with my agent and they didn't sell and, you know, they'd gone on wide submission and they were very different books. And I was feeling really just, I don't know, kind of down about it. And I didn't want to quit writing, but I was just kind of like, something's got to change. And I'm not quite sure what that change is going to have to be for me, but um, I was just kind of grasping for like the joy and writing and, and trying to remember how it felt like, you know, before I had an agent, before I was really like seriously working towards writing for a publication. And this idea was, you know, kind of came to me and I was, I've, you know, I've always kind of internally scoffed at the idea when writers say like oh you know the character's voice just came to me and I couldn't stop writing because that had never happened to me before but it totally happened to me with Lizzie like the the first line of the book just kind of clicked and then I was off and it was like the most fun that I'd had writing in years and I I really just went with it and I guess it was just kind of the idea of like you know well you've written retellings before so sometimes I feel like I had to stay too too true to the original source material and retellings. And for that reason, um, I would not get very far in retellings. But with this Pride and Premeditation, I, I kind of thought, like, if I'm going to write Jane Austen but murder mystery, like, might as well just go wild with it and have fun. And, and that's kind of how, how it ended up happening. <laughs> Well, I love that. And I love that you bring that up because obviously going into a retelling uh, as a reader, like there is this expectation, like, okay, there's going to be these moments. You know, I, I love the story of Pride and Prejudice. I, I know what to expect. There's going to be the ball where they, he, you know, makes a bad comment about her. There's going to be the marriage proposal that's rejected. There's going to be these moments. And I was surprised, but in a very good way to see that you didn't subscribe to that. Like you have these beloved characters, but you've given them a completely new story and it was unexpected, but so enjoyable because it was like getting to spend time with these characters that we know and we love and getting to watch Lizzie and Darcy fall in love all over again, but at the same time, completely unpredictable. So were you, I mean, were you nervous? Were you intimidated to be taking on this, this very beloved 
book that so many people just love Pride and Prejudice. Um, and and what what did you have to say to yourself to convince yourself, like, no, it's okay to go wild to do my own thing here? Uh, yes, I was very nervous because I love... I love Jane Austen's work and I know that the Jane Austen community feels very, very strongly about her work and her retellings. And I mean, I'm, I work in the book world, so I'm constantly reading about books and people's reactions to books. And I know that when Jane Austen fans don't like a retelling, like they really don't like it. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm going into this and I just kind of, I think I knew at the beginning that like, this might not be for everybody, but I was really just having fun myself. Uh, But one way that I tried very hard to, you know, make Jane Austen readers happy and also myself happy was even though I was completely throwing out most of the plots of the books. um, And, you know, this goes with the second book as well. I just really read and reread Austin's work to try to get to like the essence of the characters. And I tried to keep that as intact as possible in my own retellings Um, because I love the characters. That's really what it comes down to. I think that they are fantastic. And it was a very fun exercise to just reimagine them in these completely different settings. And, you know, some of them are very anachronistic, the settings and the situations, but um, I don't think it was too much of a stretch to kind of imagine how they would react in those those various roles. So, yeah, I mean, I was nervous, but at the end of the day, I was pleasing myself while writing first. And, um, you know, my my agent and my editor were super supportive and very enthusiastic along the way. So I just kind of was like, okay, fingers crossed that, you know, some people will read and love this. Yeah, no. And it's a good reminder, I think, to everybody that you are your first reader. And if you're not loving it and you're not having fun, then how can you expect your readers to love it and have fun? Exactly. Um, well, I, I loved it. I did. And oh, I do you. not, I, mean, I am a huge Pride and Prejudice fan. And I will be honest, I have felt very disappointed by many Pride and Prejudice <laughs> retellings over the years. And for me, this one did not disappoint um, because of all the things that I said earlier, but because it, the characters, they are the characters. I mean, you did a fabulous job of bringing them to life and still feeling like, yeah, oh, this is totally Darcy. Oh, this is totally something that Darcy would say. This is totally something that Collins would say. Uh, You could tell as a reader that you are a fan and that you are approaching this story with a lot of love and respect for the the original. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to hear that. (laughs) So of course, The reason that so many of us love Pride and Prejudice is because of Elizabeth and Darcy. They are like the quintessential hate-to-love romance. I can't, of course, say that they're the original, but for so many of us, they feel like the original. Yes. (laughs) So what was your strategy for approaching the, the romance plot in particular? Oh, that's a very good question. Well, I admit that in early drafts, it was very easy to just lean into 
this whole idea of like, you know, Lizzie thinks that she's right and that her way is the only way the entire time through. And I, I kept going back to like, you know, the idea of, okay, she thinks that she's right, but obviously Darcy has a different perspective. So at one point I did a pass through the draft where every single time, um, Lizzie and Darcy are in the same scene and they're sparring. Um, I made myself stop and try to imagine it from Darcy's perspective. And in some ways I almost started writing like from his perspective, which is something I don't often do while I'm drafting just to try to get into his head. And I, I think that like the beauty of Pride and Prejudice is like when you read it for the first time um, or, you know, even reread it, you see that like Darcy is not as bad as Lizzie thinks he is on that first impression, but she really holds on to that first impression. So just, you know, keeping that in mind of like how we form those first impressions, but then like how they change um, was interesting because as you're, you know, as I was approaching each scene, I kept trying to like give these little, little hints of like, no, you're, you're kind of wrong about him. And, and as she slowly is realizing this, um, my editor said to me, like, we need a moment where like it hits her over the head. So I, um, she asked me if I'd ever heard of like the locked room trope where you like literally lock your (laughs) characters in a room. And I was like, oh, I can do something with this. So that, that suggestion ended up, um, producing like my favorite scene that's that I wrote the entire book. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> so yeah like that moment of realization and I think that like it can be pretty powerful in romance in particular when when you have like this aha moment of like this person is not exactly who I thought they were and like you know looking back you can see the little clues of it all along but then like when you're forced to confront it um that's pretty powerful I think for me as a reader whenever I read stuff like that so I tried to kind of replicate that um in this book but it, I I did struggle with the romance a little bit because uh you know Lizzie's very obstinate so it takes her a little while to see things but I enjoy enemies to lovers romance so much I had so much fun writing this one yeah no you could tell that you were having fun and just like the banter of course the banter is what we just live for and I loved the scenes where they were bantering with each other and I again it was like it was so Lizzie and Darcy it was like getting to read Lizzie and Darcy again. <laughs> it made me really really happy um and okay so as you were talking I had a brilliant idea that I hope you'll steal if your publisher ever needs some bonus material it would be so fun to get to read one of those scenes, like the locked room scene from Darcy's point of view. Oh, yes, that would be fun. I, I don't know if I actually wrote that scene from his point of view, but I could I could dive in and do that. Yeah. That would be fun. <laughs> Just if, in case you need any, of the, <laughs> any ideas, any promo materials, I'm going to throw that one out there because I would go. love to read that. Oh, thanks. <laughs> All right, um, let's talk about murder mysteries. Uh, because as much as I say, like, I wish I would have had this idea because I think it's such a brilliant idea. Uh, People who have listened to this podcast a lot know that I am very intimidated by the idea of writing a murder mystery. I find the, the craft involved in 
creating a plot in which you are layering clues and red herrings and, you know, giving just the right bits of information at just the right time. It it gives me a headache just thinking about it. (laughs) So how did you approach the, the murder mystery genre? Oof. It's so hard. Um, (laughs) No, there's like totally this moment where I was like, oh, what have I gotten myself into? Um, (laughs) I am very much a plotter and I like structure. So before I even really got into like writing this book, like, you know, the details and the plot, I spent a lot of time trying to get my mind around the mystery and seeing how it would actually work. And then I plotted everything out, even like the clues and all of that in an Excel spreadsheet. And it was like, I've never plotted a book in an Excel spreadsheet before, but this was like absolutely necessary for me because I could have like my columns with like my chapters and then I broke it down by scene and I could have, you know, this is what's happening, but this is the conflict. So this is how they kind of, you know, go from there. And then off to the side, I had just had like these like cell after cell after cell of notes of like, this is the moment when we need to like, you know, drop a hint about this. And this is the moment when they find this clue. And that really did help like keep me on track and keep me, you know, organized enough to get a draft out. But I would say that a lot of like the knowing how much to reveal and, you know, when to drop this bit of info and that bit of info for me, that a lot of that has come in revision Mm. uh, because it's, I'm the type of writer that like, I need to know how a book is going to end in order to start drafting because I need to have something to write towards. But by the time you get to the end of a draft, like a lot can change and your perspective on the book can change a lot. So that's why when I go back and I revise, I, you know, really do a lot of like shifting around of, of like the clues and like the mystery elements. Uh, but I also... I mean, it's sometimes it's just like trial and error. Um, I had readers who were like, wait, if that happens in this chapter, then how does this happen in that chapter up until, you know, like right before we were going to copy edits. So I also have to credit like my amazing readers and agent and editor who read and helped keep me on track as well. Cause there's a lot to keep in your brain at once. And I definitely learned a lot while writing. Well, that gives me some confidence because I I often, I will read murder mysteries and just feel like I don't have a brain. My brain just doesn't function (laughs) this way. Like it's, it is a lot to hold on to and, you know, not just with giving the actual clues that can't really seem like clues because you don't want to give it away too early, but then you have to give your your detective character something to work with that's going to kind of lead them in a direction. And anyways, I just think that's really impressive. Yes. Um, but I but do I, feel like, yeah, I can see how it would take multiple drafts of like, okay, maybe it's too obvious here. Maybe we need to move this over here. And it'd be a lot of back and forth, I would think. Yeah. And, you know, it's... It's one of those things too, where like you you have this character and the character's got a hunch and you kind of know where the character needs to go. And every now and then my editor would be like, we need actual evidence. And I was like, oh yeah. (laughs) Okay. Evidence. (laughs) 
like she, can't, like she can't just run off because she has a feeling and I was like I guess you're right um but no she was really a great instrumental and definitely helped keep me on track um but I yeah it's it can be hard but I do feel like I mean because I've written two of them now and you you do start to get like a sense I think for like mystery plotting and like pacing and like okay we need something more here even if you don't quite know at the exact moment what that thing is mm-hmm. uh, but yeah my like total hats off to some you know mystery writers who just like make it look easy because I I definitely struggled a bit during the plotting of both this book and then the second book the sequel. <laughs> Well, I will say as a reader, I thought that you made it look pretty easy. So thanks. You've done it. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know the answer when you started writing? Did you, or were there any surprises as to the whodunit portion? No, I, I knew going in who the villain would be and, you know, who would, um, but the surprises I think come in like the side characters and and how they developed and like their contributions to the mystery and even like Lizzie like where she is left at the end of the book is you know without any spoilers it's not quite exactly where she imagines herself at the beginning of the book and that surprised me as well Mm -hmm. um so that's you know I I like it when books can evolve like that and sort of make me take a step back and go oh okay I didn't realize I was doing that but here we are and how can I work with this and what can I do with this yeah no and I loved it because I thought it showed uh, a lot of how her character had had changed over the course of the story and she learns so much about herself and about other people and about this world that she's in I found it very fitting so good good choice to change that (laughs) (laughs) thank you um so you now have two more books coming out uh and I have to read their titles because they are so (laughs) good so your next book is sense and second degree murder followed by manslaughter park how hard was it to come up with those titles? Um, actually, my editor came up with them, so I cannot <laughs> claim credit. <laughs> but I love them, so they're so I just, good. Yeah. Props to your editor; <laughs> they're great. Yes, I I love puns. I love punny titles. They just they make me laugh. So yeah. they're so good. And as a trio, I mean, they're just so good. I'm just like really like I just love everything about them. <laughs> Totally noting out. Thank you. Um, can you tell us anything about the books to come? Yes. So Sense and Second Degree Murder is the next book. I'm working on the revisions right now. And it stars Eleanor and Marianne Dashwood, whose father dies unexpectedly. And they begin to suspect that it was no um, natural cause, but actual, actually poison. So they begin to investigate and manslaughter park uh, you know i can't say too much about it yet because i i've yet to really get into the drafting but it will be a retelling of mansfield park hopefully with a little bit more autonomy for fanny price <laughs> that's <is> an idea <laughs> <laughs> um so i know that you've got your hands full obviously with these next two books is there any hope for a northanger abbey retelling because it's one of my favorites and i just think that the gothic 
murder mystery would just fit together really well. <laughs> I know it would be, it would be really perfect. If, if I were to write it, I would call it Northanger Alibi. Oh, and that's so good. <laughs> I, was actually, I had spent probably like 20 minutes yesterday trying to come up with a good punny title just so that you wouldn't be able to say no. You'd be like, oh, well, <laughs> It's so funny because people are always like, are you going to do Northanger Abbey? Because it's, it's kind of, you know, she thinks there's a murder mystery and I would love to, um, it's probably going to be up to my publisher, whether or not I can, but that would definitely be fun. And I've already got a title for it. So, you know, just have to come up with the plot and all that other stuff. Yeah. You know, all the the actual (laughs) writing stuff, right? (laughs) Well, I hope it does. I hope it does. Cause I think it'd be super fun, but in the meantime, I'm looking forward to the whole series. So I'm sending lots of inspiration your way. Thank you. So you, before you became a writer, you used to be a bookseller and a librarian. Uh, thanks for that, because we love our booksellers and our librarians. Um, how do you feel like that work kind of has impacted your your writing or maybe your approach to now starting a writing career? Oh, definitely had like a really great impact because as a bookseller and I was a bookseller the longest, I, you know, just sort of got to see up close and personal how people think about books and talk about books and how they they approach um like just buying books and and looking at them. And I I was able to talk with so many people um, because they're always asking booksellers like, you know, is this good? What should I read? I really liked this. Do you have something that I would like along these lines? And it really helped me, I think, just like learn how to talk about books in a way that will reach readers. And also it helped me see what readers gravitate towards. Um, So that was just a lot of fun. And I got to have like pretty much complete control over the children's and YA section at the indie bookstore that I worked at. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Just so much fun. If I may ask. So it was called Great Lakes Books in Michigan. It has sadly closed. Um, yeah, I know that was this kind of the bummer. I would have happily, you know, worked there for years and years and still would work there if it was still around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then after that, I got hired at my local library and they kind of were like, oh, you know, you know, books. And they put me in charge of the teen <laughs> section. And I was like, cool, this is awesome. And, you know, that was a completely different experience because, you know, book selling is, is about the books and just kind of keeping on top of like what's new, what's coming out, what people are buying. But library work is really about the people. <laughs> so I, you know, the books were still there, of course, but like I really had to like change my way of thinking and just kind of connect with the teens and the people first. And that was an amazing job because I got to work with so many wonderful teens and I got to work with teens who, you know, would hang out and they would tell me about the books that they loved and they would go into greater detail. And we had book clubs and we had, um, you know, just times when we'd hang out and eat pizza and they'd just tell me about all of the books 
that they they loved and why. And that was kind of like a deeper connection that I didn't necessarily get while working at the bookstore. So that was really cool just to kind of hang out with them and gain insight on, into what they're reading and what they're loving. But like also the things that they cared about in their lives and like what they were going through and what they were hoping to achieve and do. And that was a really amazing experience that definitely informed my writing and how I wrote for teens. And, you know, just both experiences were very different, but definitely very helpful for me as a writer. So when you're writing now, how often are you thinking about the teens? Like whether, do you specifically think about, oh, this teen that would come into the library, I think they would love this book or... I don't know. Are you trying to appeal to to those teens in particular? Are there voices in your head when you're working? Oh, that's a good question. I do feel like first and foremost, I I write to please myself just because I'm, you know, I love stories and I was one of those teenagers that just always was thinking about stories. So I'm I'm I do rely on like my memories of, of what I loved and what, you know really got me excited as a teen and how that has continued into my adult years. But at the same time, yeah, I think that, you know, just having that firsthand experience with the library teens really got me thinking more about like the real audience that I have outside of myself. Mm. And that has been very beneficial. I mean, I think that I would not have thought that a retelling of a classic would appeal to any teen who hadn't already read the classic um, Mm. before I did a really fantastic book club with a bunch of teens. And we picked A Study in Charlotte by Brittany Cavallaro. And I, you know, was able to get a bunch of copies and give them out to all the teens. And then we had this really great book discussion. And I asked them, I was like, how many of you, you know, have read Sherlock Holmes or, you know, anything like that. And not many of them had actually read Sherlock Holmes. A few of them had um, like watched some TV series or movies, but like more than half of them immediately were like, oh, I loved it. It didn't matter that I didn't know who Sherlock Holmes was. I'm going to go check out, you know, some of, of Arthur Conan Doyle's books now. And that was kind of like an aha moment for me where I was like, oh, like, you know, they, they will go and they will seek this out. Like, it doesn't matter if they've not read the source material before or not. Like, this is this is something that they're into and retellings really um, keep the canon alive and relevant to a lot of teens. So that was kind of an exciting little insight. No, that is, and that's such a good point. That had not even crossed my mind um, because, of course, in the retellings that I've done doing fairy tales, like most of us are familiar with the fairy tales. We've had these stories read to us, or at least have seen the Disney movies. Um, But you're right, probably not most teenagers, the majority of your readers will have read a whole lot of Jane Austen. Um, But I love that. I love to think that one, it's still a great book on its own. Like you don't have to be familiar with the original to get so much enjoyment out of this. But also then in hope, you can hope that it will inspire readers to be like, oh, it's really, I want to know more. I want to see what Lizzie and Darcy were up to in the original. And that'd be awesome if you start hearing from readers who are like, now I'm a huge Jane Austen fan because of you. 
That would be amazing. And I've been very lucky that some early readers have reached out and said, like, you know, I've never read any Austin, but I thought that your book was fun. And I was like, yes, like that is that was one of my goals is making it something that people who both um, are big Jane Austen readers and people who've never picked up Jane Austen will hopefully enjoy. Uh, But I do like the idea of, uh, you know, teens to then reading Austen after this, because I think sometimes when you read retellings it gives you a little bit of confidence with the source material so if it's a challenging book and a challenging classic like you aren't as easily discouraged because you kind of know what you're getting into and what to expect and and maybe you kind of want to read ahead and see you know does this does it unfold the way I'm thinking it's going to you know how is it going to play out yeah yeah for sure Were you, did you struggle at all with trying to kind of capture the, the Regency era voice and language, but also make it approachable to today's readers? Yes, I did. I, I mean, I went in deep and I was reading so much Austin before I started drafting that that language and like the cadence of the words and and just kind of the way that they speak which can feel very overwritten at times especially to a modern reader was like so like saturated in my brain and like actually in the first round of revisions that my editor wrote back she was like okay we're gonna cut a lot because we've got to make this a little bit more you know like just not necessarily easy but like uh, you know, a little bit more readable for a teen audience. And at first I was like, oh, but all my words, all my beautiful words, that <laughs> sentence that is so, but then I, as I got into it and I could see the difference between, you know, what I had originally written and what we were revising, I was like, yeah, this is going to read better. And like, you can still have like that language and, um, you know, just like you can have that without it being like too much of a barrier. And I think my first draft was a bit too much of a barrier. So it was definitely a a delicate balance. And there were some words and some turns of phrases that I fought to keep because I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is like a direct quote from the book and it's, you know, just going to be perfect here. So, um, you know, I did fight for that, but yeah, I did. I got really excited whenever there was a direct quote or like something that was really (laughs) close. It was like Easter egg. I got it. I saw it. (laughs) Yes. I, that, that was like one of like the most fun parts about drafting for me was I had this like notebook page of like all of these direct quotes that absolutely cracked me up in the original book. And I would write them down and be like, okay, how can I work this into the, like my telling? And it was really fun to do that. Yeah. Did you feel like um, finding that balance in, in the language, was that easier with the second book? Like, did you feel like by then you kind of just had a better feel for, for how to walk that line? Yes, I think so. I, it definitely feels like with this round, you know, we haven't really gotten to like the line edit stage yet, but I didn't struggle quite as much, partly because I knew in the back of my mind, I was like, if I write that sentence that way, my editor's going to, she's going to cross some things out. So I would, you know, write it again and be like, okay, I think that's better. Um, but also, I I also feel like, you know, having gone through and written Pride and Premeditation, 
it, it was a good opportunity for me to say like, okay, this is kind of like the balance that we're shooting for. And I was able to replicate that a bit easier drafting the second book because of the first book, I was just, you know, I'm not sure what it's going to end up like. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to write it. So I'm definitely somebody who like, if you give me a good example, I can try to follow that and replicate it yeah. going forward. Yeah. No, I can totally see how that would be a challenge, um, especially when you're reading and rereading the source material and you're like so immersed in, in that world and that language. Um, but at the same time to modern readers, it's very daunting. The language can be, um, but yes. I, I think you did a great job. It, I don't know if you've read the Cindy Ansky books, but I love them. And they also are like YA, but Regency era mysteries. And it all hit like all the same notes for me, like really well done. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I've read one of her books. I need to read more of them. I love the humor in her books. Yeah. They're very, very funny and charming. Um, as was yours though. Oh, thank you. Okay. We are going to wrap this up with the happy writer bonus round. First up, what book makes you happy? Oh, <laughs> this is, why is it always so difficult? I'm always happy to talk about books when like nobody is asking me about books. But the second somebody asks me about a book, I'm like, what, what have I read? Have I read books lately? Oh, I know. I know. People, <laughs> like it, it always comes up in interviews. What are you reading now? And I'm like, I'm reading three books. Why can't I think of a single one of them? Right. Well, I will tell you one book that made me really happy lately, even if I don't know if people think of it as a happy book, but I, I think I do. Um, Last Night at the Telegraph Club by Melinda Lowe. I love that book so much. It made me happy because it's a queer story that's historical that does not have a tragic ending. And it's just a really beautiful, fully realized historical setting. I just thought it was so wonderful. I was happy reading that entire book, even though there are some challenging things to it. There's, you know, racism and homophobia, um, but she just wrote it with such an amazing balance. Mm-hmm. I, I have not read that book, but I love Melinda Lowe and her her version of Cinderella, um, her queer oh. Cinderella story, Ash. I mean, it was groundbreaking when she wrote it and so, so good. So amazing. Yes. And I recently reread that like about a year ago and it's just as good, you know, 10 years later as it was when I first read it. How do you celebrate an accomplishment? Um, with cake, with food. Good. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love good food. And I think one of the hardest parts about I mean, this is like a trivial hardship of the pandemic, but like one of the things that I've kind of struggled with is like, you know, when something happy happens or we want to celebrate, it's like, we can't go out to restaurants. We can't, you know, order food that I haven't cooked myself. So, um, I do, I do miss that, but I, I love celebrating good news, with like a slice of very good cake. Mm-hmm. How do you fill the creative well? Oh, reading always. I would love nothing more than to just have like long uninterrupted stretches of time where I can just read. But I also feel like since writing has become more of a um, creative professional endeavor, I need something that's like purely creative. That's not going to be monetized or, or marketed in any way. 
So I do a lot of knitting and embroidery. Mm -hmm. I just took up embroidery. That was one of my Ah. new New year's things. I needed a new hobby. (laughs) It's so much fun. And it makes me feel like a Regency lady when I do it. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. What is your personal mantra? Oh, that is a good question. Um, I think, let's see, when I'm writing, um, I, I try to tell myself pages, not perfection, just to get stuff down on the page, because as much as drafting is like my, my love, I know that, you know, you can't, you can't make something better until you've written it. So I am always telling myself that when I'm drafting. Lastly, where can people find you? You can find me so many places online. Um, my website is tearsofprice.com, but I mostly hang out on Instagram and Twitter. I'm um, at, at Tears of Price. It's T-I-R-Z-A-H-P-R-I-C-E. Uh, but I also am on a few podcasts over at Book Riot. So you can find me on the All the Books podcast. And at least for a little while here, I'm going to be filling in on the Hey YA podcast. So I'll be on there for the next few months. How fun. Teresa, thank you so, so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. Readers, be sure to check out Pride and Premeditation. It is out now. Of course, we always encourage you to support your local indie bookstore if you can. But if you don't have a local indie, you can check out our affiliate store at bookshop.org shop slash Marissa Meyer. If you're enjoying these conversations, I would love it if you subscribed and please leave us a review. You can follow us on Instagram at Marissa Meyer Author and at Happy Writer Podcast. Until next time, stay healthy and cozy in your bunkers. And whatever life throws at you today, I do hope that now you're feeling a little bit happier.